Hey there, I'm Steph. And I'm Simon. And welcome to The Food Fight, where we offer a different perspective on food culture issues around Australia and the world. We'll talk with chefs, producers, business owners and experts to hear their stories and find out what makes them tick. This week we're speaking with Oscar McMahon and Richard Adamson from Young Henry's. You guys know it, it's a fantastic beer made in Newtown and brewed to serve the people. Let's do it. All right, cool. Let's start. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Food Fight podcast. We'd like to begin with an acknowledgement of country and acknowledge the Gadigal and Wangal people of the Eora Nation, the traditional custodians of the land on which we gather today and pay respect to elders past, present and emerging. All right. Simon, our guests today, we're very lucky to have or to be here at the Young Henry's Brewery in Newtown. Welcome, Rich and Oscar from Young Henry's. Thank you. Thank you very much, hey, fellas. <laughs> no worries. All right, uh, guys, just to start, do you want to tell us a bit about your sort of respective roles in the business? Ooh, uh, that's, that's changed a lot. So um, <laughs> I think when, when Oscar, and I, Oscar and I were uh, the founders of uh, Young Henry's and uh, we brought on Dan Hampton, our uh, sales director. I think it's. Oh, it sounds a little bit officious, doesn't it? it does uh, sales <laughs> dude. Um, probably about six to eight months into when we first started. But uh, I, I was the head brewer. Um, Oscar was also brewing, and we were barely doing sales and keeping the place afloat at that time. Uh, and now I kind of uh, look after the technical side of brewing. We'll, we'll assist the head brewer there, and sort of do special projects I guess yeah and I guess that I sort of sit across a marketing and brewing um, sort of I guess the marketing team sort of sitting in the marketing meetings every week and working with them sort of on a more day-to-day with certain things but also um, my interactions with the brewing team is sort of um, less technical and more to do with like morale and team stuff like that and we both um, we both put out fires <laughs> anytime something is on fire run towards it with fire blanket yeah, yeah. yeah. your role's probably got more specific now but I guess it's still uh, if there's a problem if there's something to be fixed then you're still rolling your sleeves up that's exactly right yeah. cool and, you, and so your guys your guys here every day this is your workplace yeah, absolutely. Yeah, We've got cool. our, our office is just over there. There's four of us in, in our office. Um, it's just above above the brewery. So, you know, we'll be sitting at our computers or chatting through something and all of a sudden the compressor will stop working and everyone just listens out for, hang on, it's gone quiet. Why did it go quiet? You don't like quiet breweries. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Unless you're recording a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. pretty impossible to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Lock the room down. <laughs> uh, guys, I guess to start, um, almost more so than any other beer that I can think about, you guys are connected to a place. And Newtown is a very special and unique place. Um, and you guys have roots here. Do you want to tell us, when you first started the business, we'll start with you, Oscar, where, tell us a bit about what Newtown was like. There might be some people listening to this who don't know much about Newtown and about what it was like and why you thought bringing a beer to Newtown that, that followed the sense of place that you have here would be something that would work. 
Newtown, you know, eight, nine years ago was, it was a late night pub district. It was a restaurant district. It was, um, but it wasn't sort of heralded as that, if it makes any, uh, if that makes any sense. It was a place where a lot of locals would go out to eat and drink. It wasn't necessarily a um, huge culinary destination. Then you had um, the likes of Bloodwood opening up and Hearts Yard and a um, bunch of the pubs started, you know, putting on better produce. And then obviously when the lockouts sort of happened, it became this real focus of nightlife, you know. Um, but back then I think Newtown was this really vibrant locals really local um friendly place and a lot of people are going out and drinking beer in pubs and that's that's what i mean we love this area i love living in this area and um we love the pubs of the area so it just sort of i don't know from a brand point of view it just it, i guess it made more sense from how we felt opening a business here than any other um well thought out business plan of well you know the, pe- the people of Newtown are going to love this. No, we just thought this is a good place. This is this is where we feel comfortable. So let's open a business here. Were you only going to open the brewery in Newtown? Were you looking other places, or was oh, it we going to do it? We were looking. We were looking to be honest at anywhere that had a very specific, yeah. you know, size and zoning. Yeah. So it kind of it was almost luck that you found the spot here in Newtown. It's almost the last uh, industrial. Uh, space in, within Newtown um, left, I think, is where we are now. Um, Marrickville has sells a fair bit, but um, in terms of that sort of businesses are getting pushed out from the city, I think, further mm. and further. Mm. Did you did you envision having as much of a connection to place as you guys now do? Uh, initially, it was more about having a community around us. Um, so we, you know, we chose serve the people as a, as a bit of a pun, but also we, we wanted to live that in, in, in some way that made sense to us. And that was going to be to bring in things or you know, people, businesses, bands, artists that inspired us and hopefully we could do a little bit towards um, what they did either by inspiring them with beer or mm. just getting involved with what they were doing. Uh, and that was the original vision. Um, I guess the... Can, as it turns out, Newtown is full of musicians and artists, so um, that worked. That that played to us pretty well, as mm. it as it turned out. Uh, and then we were asked by um, the council to do a beer for Newtown's 150th anniversary, which um, we called the Newtowner. And I guess that really kind of cemented it at that point. I think without that, without kind of hitting that or making that beer, how different things would be now do you think you would have carried on the trajectory or you know what I, how important was that beer that that beer i think was a huge turning point for us mm. it was it was i mean we legitimately made newtowner for the first time as a small batch yeah you know it was the first time that the courthouse hotel had ever put us on tap and which we thought is the quintessential you know uh newtown pub yeah. and they went through a batch of beer in a week one pub a mm. whole batch of beer in one week. We'd never made me very anything. nervous. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We'd never seen it. It was your like job, that. Rich, to get yeah, it out. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Thinking this is going to eat the eat the brewery, um, but we yeah we got through. There was a period there, I think after that beer that we we said no to new customers for a, a good eight months or so, mm. probably more, probably more. And then we had this um, once 
once we sort of hit capacity, because Newtown had just started taking off, we had to, we actually had to put in a mechanism for saying no to people who wanted to, like, this sounds crazy, but the Republicans calling wanting to put this beer on tap and we just we only had so much mm. so we we had to work out a way of saying no to people so we just said okay if your pub isn't in the 2042 postcode I'm sorry you can't have it so that was more a logistics thing than, it, a, than a like locals only kind of thing <laughs> yeah it was it was <laughs> there was it was not a constructed marketing ploy like oh we're gonna mm. hold it back for a little while it was just like no that's all we've got so it's called the new town and we should let you know the local people have it first and um a couple of people along the way just were saying, this is fucking madness. So you've got a product that people want to buy and you're telling them no? Mm. It's like, yeah, that doesn't, mm. that doesn't really <laughs> sound smart, does it? <laughs> how long between releasing that beer and then expanding to, like, how long did you wait? Because I guess the, the temptation would be to expand. You know, you've got this, got this demand, so to expand real quick, pump out as much beer, maybe cut corners, maybe uh, do this. Again, it probably wasn't any strategy. It was... Can we get the money together? Can we get the space? Yeah. So I think at that time, we were only two of the... Um, how many are there? Five um, warehouses in this, in this facility. And it was only until the, one of the, the third one came available that we could, we could yeah. actually ex- do the ex- expansion. We yeah, right. were totally out of space. So we only started with two of these warehouses and now we've taken over the entire site, slowly but surely. Mm. Um, so again, yeah, I don't think it was a strategy. It was just, can, you know... As a physical yeah. um, barrier, yeah. we could not make enough. Yeah, yeah. And then um, we, when we're talking about sort of reinvesting again, you know, putting in some more tanks, we flicked an email to a few of our um, sort of favourite licensees around the area, and we just said, "Look, how would you guys feel about us letting Newtowner out of Newtown?" And all of them, were like, they were like, "Look, yeah." You know, take it to the world, but just mm. make sure we don't run out. Yeah, you know, and that was that was the the main one, feedback. One first dibs. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that was pretty cool. Mm. And the 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 important thing with Newtown and why we're really lucky to have found this place is that we have gained a lot of knowledge and insight into what we're doing, what people like, because. People come into our tasting bar and they hang out and they have chats. All of our customers have become friends. It's amazing when you're standing in the front bar of a local pub what you can learn if you just have chats with people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like Newtown has influenced our business in that way ever since day dot. So it's, you know, I, I do feel like we've done some really positive things for Newtown, but Newtown has also helped guide this business mm. in many different ways. Was there any kind of backlash or negativity to what you guys were doing or sort of um maybe from the more traditional beer drinkers and of um, course you can't do anything fun without someone getting their nose out of joint <laughs> <laughs> pretty, pretty you know much. yeah look you know i think are you, you are you pro party or anti-party <laughs> <laughs> i think you guys would know too if you create something you, you open yourself up to criticism oh, yeah. um and um you got to take you know the good with the bad in terms of that criticism some mm. people are going to love what you do and some people are just going to find a way of picking holes in it Some, sometimes legitimately and sometimes you go oh, maybe that's not that fair but I've got a cop it on the chin yeah yeah yeah. yeah. I think so. also that from the very beginning we didn't do there was there was no market research done we very much wanted to we just started making things and you know we'll talk we'd be talking about sometimes like Rich would come up with just a pun 
a pun idea and we'd base like oh do you know what let's make a beer to to suit that pun yeah. you know it was all just <laughs> that's how this guy writes his menu yeah. I'm so ridiculous <laughs> well literally I find like like bacon eggs and it's like let's do fish bacon and fish eggs and it's like I only want to do it because of the little pun yeah like, that's <laughs> literally the best way to start and as exactly long as it, make, it makes right. you laugh and you'll be a bit more invested in it or something so we from the very beginning it was a lot of um, I don't know trusting your gut Mm. just being legitimately excited by something and if you're making decisions based on something that you actually love and really think is funny or really Mm. enjoy Mm. it doesn't really matter if someone doesn't like it because if you like it you know that your friends and other people who have the same sense of humor will appreciate it and if someone else doesn't like it it's really not an issue because yeah, it's cool. Like as long as as long as you're satisfied yeah. with that. It'd be worse if you made made a beer or made a dish to to please someone and then then they didn't like it. <laughs> you get fucked on. Yeah, that's right. You haven't pleased yourself <laughs> and you haven't pleased yeah. them. So yeah. that's uh, that's <laughs> the pissed off. That's the worst of both worlds, unfortunately. <laughs> was that was that though a difficult sort of realization to come to? Because I think that like. And, you know, you guys obviously like unorthodox beginnings, not huge amounts of experience in, you know, running a brewery and and upscaling business and, and doing all those sorts of things. But was it a hard realization to come to that you could just trust your gut and just trust what you find interesting? Because we live in a world now where there's a lot more of these unorthodox approaches to things um, available before the internet and social media, in a way, the corporate world and the way that marketing was conducted and stuff was very polished and very almost sterile in a way, but it's taken sort of the internet, social media and and things like that to allow people to to be themselves and to use genuine excitement and interest to drive a lot of their decision making and it's more acceptable now at a corporate level or at a large business level is is was it hard to be like this is how everyone else is doing it and they're all successful we're going to do it completely differently and just trust our gut and you know trust the fact that we all enjoy like getting loose sometimes and making bad puns and we're going to make decisions based on this sort of thing I think I just just before we sort of um, opened the doors, I'd read a book called um, Blink by Malcolm Gladwell. Mm, yep. um, I don't know if you've read that, read but that. Uh, he he says that those gut decisions are probably more complex than you give it credit for. You, you're making a whole bunch of decisions very quickly, uh, and just because you haven't sat down and written them all down and gone through it methodically, doesn't mean that you haven't really thought about it or given it due consideration mm. and I always think that if you if you have that gut feeling that this is right and then you go through the intellectual process of mapping it all out and you decide to be cautious and not do it and it turns out you were right I think you, that's that's the most when I get the most annoyed with myself mm. uh, when you go against your gut and you were and your gut was right uh, so going against going with your gut and occasionally getting it wrong I think is a better outcome I, th- I actually think that our our gut reflex got tested a couple of times in the early days by a couple of the times where we did fuck up or something went wrong. And one of us, you know, has said, you know what, I, I had a feeling that we shouldn't have done that and I didn't voice it. You know, it, anytime that there's a sort of a big mistake, someone had a feeling of trepidation or, you know, mm. it is a, it is a, 
pretty um, pretty important muscle to flex, you know yeah, that. Yeah. And we've gotten better at that. So now it's all gut feel, and then we check the spreadsheets afterwards. Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, gonna, when you when you because any business, any industry, you're going to have failures. I think it's how you how you deal with them afterwards, and how you look back on them, what you learn from them, and if that's what you guys took, was that next time someone fucking pipe up. When absolutely you think it's not right. <laughs> absolutely. Then that, that's a pretty good uh, yeah, kind yeah. of lesson there's, to take from there's it. There's absolutely no point in someone sitting back and eventually saying, "I told you so." Yeah, like, yeah. like, no, come on. What, if, what you, if you've got a if you've got a dodgy feeling, like, let's talk about it right now. What was what were one of the fuck ups? Oh, there's, there's so many. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> particularly top, top five, partic- or <laughs> particularly in the early days, I think you do have to throw up a lot of ideas up against the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. Uh, mm. When you when you first start because you really don't have that much to lose mm. let's face it yeah. um you know i think now the expectation of starting a brewery you've got to get it right bang on from the outset there's a lot of yeah, people competition is like, yeah a lot of people looking now. at you uh i think it's it's much harder these days it's kind of like when people come and review the restaurant and they come yeah, in in the I first first two weeks you know uh, yeah. when you're still working stuff out they don't come three months into you being open, um, yeah, they make they make they make a decision straight away. They go, oh, I didn't like it. I'm not going to go back. Yeah, yeah which, which is, is a stitcher. Yeah, like, <laughs> the staff stitcher. didn't know what they were doing. Yeah, yeah they've yeah. been on the job for two exactly. weeks, mate. <laughs> so does it come in the first night <laughs> to do a review? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> can, can you send me in the review that you wrote on your first day working yeah. for this newspaper, and I'm going to fucking review that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, how about that, pal? Yeah. Uh, we didn't answer the question. We 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 we, we sidestepped that one very. very <laughs> well, <didn't we? laughs> um, look, there's been some made some limited release beers that haven't hit the mark. Uh, we we mm. we were way ahead ahead of our time in kombucha beer, and yeah, right. there's a reason for that because it wasn't that good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I think I look, don't remember that one. The mm. thing that sticks out um, in my head was uh, the first the first time we entered the market doing a packaged product yeah. were these long necks that we got a cheap deal uh, on from a um, company from China and it turned That's out That's a reason why they're cheap Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, The actual <laughs> bottles The actual bottles started yeah, right. popping on the shelves the first oh, week that shit. we released them and uh, someone picked one up and it broke in his hand Fuck. and that was a really that was a really scary time yeah, Thankfully yeah. we were super small and we knew the five customers that had bought it we could just <laughs> Drove up and picked it all <laughs> up, and you know mm. had to destroy it all. But that was um, that was a scary thing where you know yeah. logic tells you don't buy cheap glass. Yeah, yeah. you know. But yeah. that's the pressures when you're you're small and you're new. It's Absolutely. Like if I can save you know however much per bottle, yeah, that all makes such a difference at the time. Mm. Like it's always kind of um, a new business. It's working out where you can put your money, where you might need to like kind of cop back a bit while you might need these uh, Ikea plates or these, uh, <laughs> all yeah. all these handmade expensive. ceramics yeah. handmade ceramics so <laughs> you know it's the secret of the restaurant world but yeah Ikea for sure plates. Ikea yeah that's or, what I came up yeah, especially if you're in Good one Scandinavia <laughs> um, guys another thing I guess it, like continuing along sort of what we're talking about and that gut feel and stuff it sounds I mean some people find it really boring to talk about brands and branding and it can be really boring but like I'm not a I'm not a marketing guru in any sense but your brand is so recognizable for its like authenticity and uh it's just like every 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 collaboration you have or every 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 new beer that you put out or where you see it or how you see it 
is is so well aligned yet the way that you talk about your beginnings it doesn't sound like you would have even really talked about oh, a, the brand in that's general. That's actually something we talked about a lot mm. uh, in terms of getting getting putting down our the values that we wanted our this company to represent, right? And and in some way about how we're going to go about it. Um, we we probably talked about that the most. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that was that was that was thought out thought out. That was a long conversation, um, and we. We wanted to make sure that everyone was, you know, in, involved in the company to start with was on the same page. Interesting. Uh, um, so I think, I really think that's that's super important when you start a business um, that you you have the same aims and same ethos because there's nothing worse than starting the company and then 18 months later realizing that oh you never talked about that from the start and yeah. the company's gone gone you know, gone left when you thought it was going to go right and that's you know one person's happy and the other person isn't. Mm. Um, I think also in how do you make how do you, how do you make a a beer taste a, a certain way look a certain way how do you make a t-shirt communicate in the same sort of way how do you make a mural how do you get all of those different like f- those four or five different creative outlets how do you make them all make sense together mm. you know you've got someone brewing you've got a graphic designer you've got a street artist doing the mural what is the one thing that actually ties all those things together and it actually is taking it right back to the values of the company and making sure that if those values are in check you will actually use those values when you are hiring people when you're engaging with artists and when you know when you're coming up with beer recipes if you have a commonality which is a mindset and, or a set of values and that is what you use to determine your decision making into all of those different facets, you actually start having a bit of a throughput. And I, could, I can only really say that with the uh, addition of hindsight. Mm. But you know, from having those early conversations, like when, when we were looking to hire our first um, salesperson, Dan, was, um, Dan, our business partner, was... Asking, look, do you guys have anything? I mean, look, we all know what Young Henry's is. Do you guys have anything that we could actually, you know, show to someone else? And we dug up this um, this stuff that going through, when we were going through working out what the brand was going to be, we had this list of values of what we wanted Young Henry's to be. And we still read that to new employees when they join Young Henry's. Mm. That was like an original list you guys wrote down. Yeah, in a yeah it really, it really, the core hasn't changed. I think mm. we've probably got a little bit more sophisticated in how we articulate it. Uh, but it, it, in terms of what we're after was really that being genuine and being able to tell, help tell other people's stories. And as I said before, bring other people into the, into the business that inspired us. So when we do a collaboration, uh, we're really looking to help tell somewhat of their story and maybe a, a common, a common um, narrative that we have together. And try and tell that through the ingredients mm. that we're using, um, or how the beer's made, or how we launch it. Yeah, um, or, hi- or highlighting um, a parallel mm. in something. So you know, ha- actually having a common goal that we're both working towards, which is, if you think about it, a beer company. Really, what we're doing is we're just we're making we're constantly making things. We constantly have to be creative. So collaboration actually offers you. Th- 
you're, you're basically throwing out an idea and you're saying, we need to be creative here. You're setting yourself a task. You need to be creative that, on something that will suit young Henry's but also suit another partner. And you have to be thinking, you know, like if you're making a beer with a musician, how does that work? What is that going to look like? What is that, what's going to be the launch party, you know? And yeah, so you know, a good example would have been the Offends um, Hemp IPA. So it was just after hemp became legal as a food additive, yeah. hemp oil. And Offends work a lot with hemp in their fabrics. Mm. Uh, so it's part of their brand identity a lot is to, there's that sustainable angle with, with hemp and using a fairly novel uh, fabric as well. And then we had a novel ingredient to work with um, a lot of people had gone down the path of using just the seeds themselves, roasted hemp seeds. We found some really interesting guys that had worked on water solubility for hemp oil, which really kept the flavour into something that was more akin to hops, but also reminded you of hemp, I guess, as well. So that was that took a lot of work to get that right, but that was it was I think the results were certainly worth it mm. in the end. Amazing. All right. Well, like, I guess the interesting thing that I, that you guys are talking about and, and I guess the reason why, like, I guess my, my first question was about how much thought was put into the brand. And I, I guess I had a, an assumption, not an assumption, but a lot of people when they're creating a business, instead of following what they're interested in and trusting what they're interested in and the immediate group of people around are interested in, whether it's arts and music and beer and, and, and those sorts of things or whether it's something completely different. A brand, a brand a lot of the time is created to please a marketplace rather than to also please the people that are involved and invested in that brand. And I think that that's what I guess makes, and you can agree with me or disagree with me, but one of the things that makes your brand so strong is that it's you guys. It's you guys and it's the people around you and it's the people in Newtown and, and it's all these things that it's – you were talking about an ethos and a set of values and that, that's your brand. You guys are your brand, not this is how we, this is how we want to make money. <laughs> and this is it's t- kind of wider than that now too. It's, I, don't, I actually don't feel like that we, we own the brand anymore. I think it's got a life of its own. Mm. Um, and we're very fortunate. We've got an amazing team that really embody that culture as well. Um, so the Young Henry's culture is has, has, has evolved slightly from when we started, but I think the, the, the core's definitely there. Um, I tend to think things like market research, just you just end up with something bland, mm. um, something yeah. inoffensive uh, that doesn't have much character. You know, mm. um, It's kind of back to Malcolm Gladwell's book, there's not... A spaghetti sauce for people. They're spaghetti sauces. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, I, one of the things I think about is that in the early days, the, the word exit strategy was just was never considered or even discussed. Yeah. And I think that you know, in a strange way, I mean, if you you can listen to an investor podcast, and one one investor will say. Never invest in anyone without an exit strategy. Like, well, 
why would you invest in someone with their eye on the door already? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like, <laughs> why would um, you be that pessimistic when you're trying to do something for love and be like, right, first things first, let's work out what's going to happen if we fuck up. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, cool. Well, and exactly, or right? Or if you get too right? good. So oh, without, or make so much money or make so much money. Well, it's yeah. like, well, I actually well, like this job. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing, right? Without an exit strategy, you actually have to make things that, uh, make decisions that will suit you because you're going to be living with it. Mm. You yeah. know? And that's a that's something that we always just did because well there was there's no there's still no exit strategy we're just in this you know it's like are we still having fun yep have we sunk it yet no cool let's keep going yeah cool um let's talk a bit about craft beer in general do you want to just Start rich. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing about it already. It's just that's just such a can of worms you've opened. It, <laughs> it is such a can of worms. That's the thing. It's funny. See, we like, like it's like we almost don't even have to con- not have the conversation because everyone will just like roll their eyes and be like, oh yeah, okay, where are we going with this? But um, Rich, what like what can you give us? your two cents on what the landscape was like when you started of craft beer and it, like you, I can sort of remember back then but you'd obviously be able to tell us a bit better look it was it was run there was a lot of corporate craft and and really after the the 90s and the recession we had to have a lot of the those original sort of craft breweries that started around the same time as american craft beer revolution they either fell by the wayside or they got sucked up by the the big guys Mm. and when we were looking at it in the you know back in the how long ago was it, Oscar? 2012. There wasn't that much on the landscape. There was probably, you know, I'd been involved with the brewing company before. I think it was just starting, starting to find its feet. Um, but certainly if you walked around Newtown, there wasn't that many craft beers on tap. I can't really think of any independently owned craft, craft beer that you saw on a regular basis. And even in bottle shops, you know, the, you'd, if you're heading out to a party and, you know, you wanted to take a selection of interesting things, you were traveling to a specific bottle shop. You weren't just popping to your local one, mm. you know? Like, you might you might get some Cooper's Red if you were lucky at your local bottle shop, but, you know? And th- that was a really... That was, that was just how it was, you know? Like, mm. people didn't expect to see an independent, you know, craft beer on tap and kind of didn't really... No one really missed it either until... It happened, then all of a sudden people can't live without it, you know? It's um it's a great time to be a beer drinker. There's there's so much more choice out there than there there ever was. I kind I kinda get the feeling it's it's a little like when that grunge music exploded in the in the nineties, right? Um, because it was everyone's little underground scene. Mm. You know, you go and see your little underground band at the at the pub and then Nirvana happened and all of a sudden what you know what was yours and what was cool was was now mainstream mm. there is there is an element of that i think within the craft beer community now it's like oh well that beer is drunk by people that aren't that cool <laughs> 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 which um which is which you know it kind of goes against the entire ethos of what we were you know mm. i yeah. think what craft beer is about and that is to bring good beer to to people yeah. there's a kind of thing about when you see people who didn't want to get about it or didn't have any respect for it or didn't even think about it until people started drinking it and then they were jumping on it. There's going to bigger pubs who would never have you know, a, a small craft beer on tap and now they see the value of it and they're trying to stock up on these things. That's great. I don't, I don't, I don't have an issue with that. Yeah. Um, not morally or, or aesthetically or anything. I think that's, 
you know, we, we're about getting good beer into more people's hands. Mm. Um, yeah. I think craft, craft as a word sort of defines itself. Yeah. Something that is well-crafted, it is, you know, made by people with love and care. Right? That's probably the most important um, part of, you know, the whole craft beer industry. But what has made it fun and interesting is the independent craft beer companies because they're small companies made by, look, basically a bunch of pirates and pissheads who <laughs> actually really give a fuck about what they're making. And that's what makes the industry fun. You've got a lot of people, everyone drinks each other's beers, everyone knows each other. It's a bunch of, it, is, it is a bunch of mavericks and um, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a fun industry and I've, yeah, I've never met uh, a bigger bunch of crazies really. Yeah, um, absolutely. And, that's, and, and that is... I say that lovingly. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> no, it's, it's kind this of like... This is why I'm in hospitality. Exactly. <laughs> it's like the hospitality industry, right? Yeah. You know, you might, you might own, run or work in the, the coolest bar in town mm. and guess what? That's not going to be the bar that you're drinking in yeah, exactly. on your night off. <laughs> you're going to be down the road at your mate's pub or whatever it is. And especially in the early days of craft beer, uh, that camaraderie of brewers dropping in and doing a brew day or just dropping in for beers at each other's stuff, it was, it was really, really fun. I remember, mm. I remember Oscar saying in the first six months we had all, like, you know, a, lot of, a lot of people come and visit and he said, uh, why is it now that I get given a lot of free craft beer <laughs> when, I, when I own a brewery yeah, now whereas when I did own a brewery yeah. I would get no free craft beer <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it's kind of like you know the, the whole thing that um, I think Brad Pitt said it in an interview it's like I became rich and famous and n- now I can afford to pay for all the things that people give me for free yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. do you like, I mean, you just gave us a pretty clear definition of what craft means to people, Oscar. But um, that's but that that's what craft means to me. I think. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head, though. But I think one of the things as well, which is kind of might be challenging for an organisation like yours, is that it it is sometimes also synonymous with small and small scale, and people sort of might not have an understanding of what independence really means and how independence allows you guys to keep quality with volume and and things like that is that something that you guys think about when you know with an ever increasing volume is it something that you guys think about that you're like we don't ever want to feel like a major a major that that has lost touch with where it started and 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 the people that, that that love the beer and things like that. I think I think we're a long way from the power of the distribution that the those major um, brewing companies have, mm. uh, and the the ability to go into a pub and say we want to tie up you know more than half of your taps, and if you do that, we'll give you a discount on spirits and a discount on your soft drinks. You know, we're, we we none of us. In, you know, they're independent, really have that ability to you know, sp- open their wallet and splash it around. Uh, I, on, the, on the positive side, I think it's really the ability to follow your whim and follow your gut as we're talking about without having to submit a marketing plan and a budget to head office and if, you know, someone telling you that's a dumb idea because a lot of our ideas are dumb ideas before we, before they get off the ground. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Some of our best ideas have been dumb Some ideas. ideas. 
Or tenuous at best. Yeah, tenuous yeah, yeah. idea, not dumb, but tenuous. And then through through saying, not just shutting things down, but saying, yes, it gets better because we, we knock it back and forth and knock it around. I think that, you know, Oscar said this before, that we, have, we respect good ideas. We respect mm. ideas. And then ideas become good ideas after some, some work. Mm. Do you think there's a kind of, is there like a maximum size or a maximum output you guys would aim for? Or would it just be, a, you know, get bigger and bigger and bigger? Do you think there's a point where um, that would affect the brand? I think that there is a natural ceiling for a brand like Young Henry's. We're never going to be everyone's cup of tea, and that's okay. We're all right with that. Um, A couple of years ago, we made an agreement as a group of directors that growth is only acceptable if we do it in our way. You know, we're not going to sacrifice our values and the you know, the feeling of this company, we're not going to sacrifice all of that for growth. We don't want to just, it's, you know, that makes it shit. Yeah. The part, the part that we're interested in and that is the independent company bit, it's because we are able to make decisions. We're able to do things pretty fun. We're able to do things that no one in a big company would be able to do. And that's what makes it fun. That's why... 80 people work for us it's because it's fun mm. and we don't want to lose that we don't want to lose yeah. that interest it's pride, pride in the beer we make and the ability to make a difference I think as well mm. within the organisation and, and outside of that at the same time what do you guys think about the larger companies buying up craft breweries what are your thoughts look it's we know how hard it is to do this so if if that's the path that other breweries want to take I can I can completely understand. Mm. Um, it's it's probably a lot of money for them too. Yeah, you know? um, because it's, it's very much a beer fanboy kind of thing. Of no, they've sold out now. They've gone on this, but look, yeah, they're not I've, punk anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I've got I've got friends in many of those businesses that I'm still friends with now, and mm. um, you know, I I don't they haven't changed as people. Um, mm. Maybe their outlook has changed somewhat, and, yeah. and that that can evolve. Uh, and it depends on what their, what their aims are, were initially as well, I think. Um, I, I don't have any issue with those people personally whatsoever. And yeah. I think it's actually, in a strange way, it's a really significant uh, sign of the times when mm. you've got these monolithic, you know, yeah, multinational companies, companies trying to stay relevant by buying... Uh, buying independent companies yeah. that are doing things that they could never have done yeah. you know I, I actually think well if it's if a testament to their success isn't it absolutely yeah. it yeah, is sure. and it's also a testament to the strength of independent craft beer because mm. well hang on if we're if we're all doing something that they're willing to be jumping on and they can't do it they need to acquire someone else then surely we're doing something right here yeah, yeah. you know yeah. it's kind of kind of exciting mm. I guess it even means the the standard of beer across the country kind of increases if you're if these big companies are buying these small breweries up and then getting them put on these larger pubs. I guess that's good for beer drinkers everywhere. Certainly, really. certainly good for the consumer. Mm. Yeah, I think I think in in some ways it is. It's the the difficulty I think is around these tap contracts and whether that's any competitive. Um, yeah. Mm. So, you know, it's great that they can they can offer that beer to the consumer. Is the consumer really getting um, more choice and better value for buck. Oh, I'd, I'd question that. Mm. Interesting. Did, I mean, going back to the sort of craft beer industry now, obviously 
the competitions there we're, we're just talking about you know majors buying up smaller breweries and things like that have you guys had to really think about competition now like and as you said you guys are mates with a lot of these people like a lot of independent brewers and things like that have you guys had to have a have a think about how you're going to stay competitive when there's so many other people independent brewers or look there are, when we started there was around between 150 to 180 brewers it's now over 650 Fuck. so the market has tripled in the last eight years mm. <clears throat> we have the ability of you know time tenure we got into the market earlier and we have grown at a really great rate um for the last few years mm. we're a few years ahead of other breweries in you know our business relationships and our distribution points and so um so that that's a that's a been a real benefit to us but of course we have to we have to be considering what the market's going to do we have to be thinking about what's next and how do we maintain our customers because it's getting it's getting really competitive there's you know 650 people um, it certainly keeps you sharp so you're not yeah. you know you sit up straight you're not you're not you know resting on your laurels uh, you've got to really be in touch with what the, you know the customer wants um, you know both the punter drinking the beer and the um, the people selling the beer at the pubs and bottle shops um, we've got to keep uh, reinventing and um, be creative come up with some you know new ideas and keep our consistency of our core products as well to um, make sure that they're the best that they can be um, and competition does that it it pushes you to be better mm. the other thing the other part of that is we need to keep reinvesting into our people and um, our company's journey so that we keep good people. We've yeah. got a really incredible team and with that much competition out there, you know, if you've got a, an unhappy wor- workforce, you've got a whole bunch of flight risks, yeah, you yeah. know, because there are 15 other breweries within 5Ks who are looking for people to, to hire, you know. It's, um, it, you have to sort of... Yeah, it's a, it's a it's a bit of a test, mm. you know. You you have to have a pretty well-rounded business to keep going through, you know. Have you found that with such an expansion of breweries that there's not enough brewers to fill the roles? Ah, uh, yes, have you, yes. Of, have you lost brewers to other companies? Well, what what I, what I did was um, I, I ended up at this business breakfast breakfast at Parliament House in New South Wales. I'm not really sure. Why I was there? Uh, <laughs> I was there. I felt a little bit, un- you know, a bit a little bit strange with the um, surrounded by all these suits. Mm. But the um, the then premier sat next to me and said, "What's the biggest challenge in your industry?" And I said, "Training. We need more brewers. It should be taught at TAFE." And he said, "Send me an email on that one," which I did, and I thought that would be the end of it. And then I got a call from the head of TAFE New South Wales saying, "I've been told to make this happen. What do I need to do?" Yeah, well. And at that point, I thought, oh, shit, why did I open my big mouth? <laughs> um, and then I handballed it to a friend of mine who was in sort of in, in education and brewing, and he started the course, and then I phoned him up about nine months into it and said, how are you doing? He said, well, I'm about to start teaching. I said, do you need a hand? He said, yes. So I uh, got involved with teaching at TAFE. So we've had, uh, to date, 72 students come through. Um, majority of them are working in the, in the brewing industry. I think our first class, it was 100% of, of um, wow. students came came through and 
they're, um, they're, they're working all through the place. I think we've got, we've got five in our brewing team that have been through the, through the TAFE course. Uh, so that certainly, that education certainly helped to um, fill that gap that was coming with the, with the inevitable growth of the industry. Mm. Um, there wasn't anything set up before um, yeah, through TAFE. Was there no formal training for breweries? Was it all just there was know, find so someone who would teach you? No, well, the course that I did was um, postgraduate, so you had okay. to have a bachelor's degree at minimum, and uh, it got to a stage where you needed to have a, a science um, yeah. I, degree. I, I, <laughs> I didn't get accepted. Um, <laughs> which, which is, well, know, that's, that's fine on that path, but that really you need people that have got hands-on practical skills, that have yeah. you know, got some, obviously, some theori- theoretical backing to those practical skills, but it's not about a, necessarily about a postgraduate course when you really just need someone to come in and clean and fill kegs for you and work mm. on the floor that yeah. i think that comes later um in your career tafe is a great model for brewing because it is it is theoretical and it is scientific but it is also physical yeah you know so you can't just be an intellect you need to be coordinated you need to you know it's yeah. practice isn't it it's, it's a, a practice it's absolutely. like it is like cooking it's what are your nice skills like yeah you know, a lot of dirty work to it is <laughs> a lot of dirty work to it we, we, we are Glorified janitors in the end of the day. Yeah, uh, I think people have this glamorous idea of brewing, but it's um, yeah, it's, it's mainly cleaning. It's wax on, <laughs> wax off. Yeah. 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 In the early days, because there wasn't anything like the TAFE course, um, if someone wanted to get a, you know, get a leg up in the industry, they would literally have to front up to a brewery and say, "Hey, look, I know that you're not hiring, but I'll work I, for free. I want some experience. Can mm. you, if I give you, you know, a day a week, can you can you teach me a few things?" And for, for that first year and a half to two years when we w- were hardly paying ourselves, um, we, couldn't, we couldn't afford to have many staff and we had a few people who wanted to, wanted to learn, wanted to you know, get some skills, get some experience and they would just turn up. Um, we'd book them in, they'd have a day, they'd mm. come in and they'd, just, they'd be working and what they'd get out of it was, was knowledge at the end of the day. Mm. And there's now... Um, Quite a few of those people ended up working with us and have gone on to do other things as yeah, well in the brewing yeah, cool. industry. So A um, couple of head brewers around the place. Mm. Um, I think that's kind of... So I always almost judge kitchen culture is how many, how many chefs have come out of that kitchen to go on to be head chefs or go to own places. And I think that really shows the, the culture you have. So I guess it's the same here if... You know, if you've got this many people who are now head brewers somewhere, that shows that you guys are doing something pretty cool and, and very right. Yeah, that's like absolutely a parallel. It's kind of, it's really cool if we think about the Young Henry's alumni and mm. how many great beers and great companies and I don't know, that's, that's actually a pretty, pretty cool feeling. Yeah, I imagine it will be. Cool. We'll shift, we'll shift slightly now. Um, sustainability is something that's important to you guys. Uh, can we start, Rich, just to tell us a little bit about maybe some of the first, you know, the first implementations of sort of sustainably conscious practices that you guys had in place here? Yeah, the first thing we did was probably the growlers. So we had a, a two-litre returnable bottle. Uh, and when we looked into packaging, we kind of realised that that's a... You know, that's a fairly hefty carbon footprint you know a lot of people like to talk about recycling um i still have unfortunately have doubts around glass recycling whether it actually goes back into bottles i I think only (coughs) a certain amount of glass can make it back in we know that we were shipping a lot of glass 
to China that stopped. We're having it rejected from Indonesia. Um, hopefully we can start seeing a recycling uh, industry in Australia that's homegrown. But at the moment, I'm still a little sceptical. Uh, but the, every time you reuse a bottle, that has an exponential impact on reducing your carbon footprint. So to be able to do that for, have a, have a like again, that word community, but have a group of people that lived around the area that could bring their bottles back to the source and we'd do a swap and go. So we would take that bottle, um, clean it, like fill it properly under, under counter pressure and then put it back in the fridge and um, give them a discount on that, on that package as well. So have a value about the glass, I think was really important. Mm. That was probably one of our, you know, hindsight being what it is, one of our best entries to the market were these big two litre brown <laughs> bottles. That was that not quite so, so done when no. you guys started that? No. Because it's kind of quite like almost every brewery fine would have that system in place now. Hey? Exactly. Whereas people were like, oh, are you the big brown bottle guys? You know, <laughs> yeah, right. you'd, you'd go around to different parties or, you know, you'd go, go see someone for, for dinner and there'd be one of our growlers on their shelves. Like it became this, it became this sort of mainstay in inner west households that's awesome you know even to the fact <laughs> that lined up on the show. we were walking down uh we were walking down edgeware road in enmore uh on our way to a meeting and we saw a it was um a real estate sign out the front of a house that was for sale and in the photo of the backyard they had a young henry's growler in the center of the the picnic table out the back <laughs> as like a way of selling this property we we're like wow that's amazing Nice. We way to see your beer. <laughs> it's like real estates are using it now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and what else, Rich? Uh, so, look, that was that was the first step. Um, since then, we've put in a high efficiency brew house that has a what's called a mash press. So it's a different um, method of um, of basically converting starch to sugar, but that uses a lot less water and and less grain as well. And then we were very fortunate to work with the Pingala project which is a community-owned solar farm. So uh, the solar panels on the roof of the brewery is owned by the community. Uh, we pay a, a lease for that. Uh, it's reducing the amount of power we take from the grid. I think we're making a saving and they're making a, a reasonable return on their initial investment. Yeah. Uh, we're looking to expand that uh, as well. So hopefully that can happen so we can we can take even, generate more of our um, energy from those solar panels. We're taking all the all the power from the grid will be from a sustainable source very soon too. So we've signed an agreement with a solar farm to make that happen. And we've been working with UTS on um, a program around algae uh, to do some research on that. So looking at capturing the CO2 coming out of fermentation to accelerate the growth of algae that will then go on and hopefully have another use. Mm. Is... Is brewing beer a high CO2 exercise and, and this is why you can capture it and feed it to algae? It's, it's manufacturing, but the actual fermentation um, process generates a reasonable amount of CO2. It is yeah. young carbon, so it's been carbon that's been captured in the barley uh, over a year's time. So mm -hmm. some of that gets sequestered in the soil. Some of that comes to us in the form of starch, which we convert to sugar which the yeast then convert to alcohol, and then probably half of that goes out as CO2. Okay. And so just, again, like with the algae thing, we were just down there before, and we were looking at this green vat of 
like it looks like Avatar down there or something like that. You've got this glowing green cylinder in the middle of your brewery. <laughs> Tell us exactly how that works again and what. Right, <laughs> we'll so go through because I want to talk more about it. It's pretty innovative. This is probably back to Oscar's point about like being able to come like follow like idea, <laughs> ideas, yeah. which maybe a big company would say no to. But uh, we're very fortunate to meet. Uh, Dr. Peter Ralph, who's head of the climate change cluster at UTS, and he asked us to come down and see what they were doing. And algae is a big focus for them. Um, several several reasons, I think, looking at uh, treatment of wastewater, um, potentially feeding um, either um, animals or humans with it. Um, it's it can be used as a medium to grow pharmaceuticals. Um, I think because of the because of its use is so varied, they they're seeing this as a a potential uh, game changer in terms of um, sustainability and mm. carbon sequestering particularly. Mm. So after looking at it, he said, would you like to get involved? And I said, yeah, but I'm not really sure how. And then went away and thought about it and came up with this crazy idea of, of using it to capture the CO2 coming out of fermentation and then researching what we can do with that algae afterwards. Um, fortunately, these, these, the rest of the guys thought it was a good idea to put some money into something that may not event uh, come to much. Mm. Um, it looks like it will come to something though, which is, which is very positive. Mm. And so that, that, that green cylinder that you have down there, that, that converts the CO2 into oxygen, does that cylinder eventually get taken away and replaced with a new one? Yeah, Oscar? absolutely. Yeah. So that's a, it's referred to as a bioreactor. Yeah. So it's 400 <laughs> litres. Um, there is generally 5 million algal cells, microalgae, per milliliter. And that bioreactor pumps out the equivalent amount of oxygen as a hectare of Australian bushland. Um, very interesting to think that the whole side of the brewery, oh. you know, that one bioreactor makes more oxygen than the footprint of our business. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which is really, really cool. And if you think about that as, you know, an urban business, an urban setting, how do you create more oxygen? Mm. Um, how do you take more CO2 out of the environment? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. You know, you can't plant more trees and the time it would take for the trees to actually grow to the size where they're doing a good enough job of it is a super long-term project whereas you know an algal bioreactor which is six foot tall can basically do that job and the co2 makes it reproduce at 1.8 1.9 times the normal speed so it's actually better for the algae so it creates more cells and creates more oxygen yeah right it's amazing is and there what, anyone else using this in brewing um, or in any other business? No, not that we've heard of. We the forefront of it. Well, it sounds like we are. Um, so we've got a few more years to go. We've we we really like this first year has really been to see if we can do it in the brewery and not kill the algae and yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> find algae that is sort of tolerant to the environment of brewing as well. All the temperature changes, uh, one that was highly CO two tolerant. So. You think that more CO2 is good for plants. In some ways it is, but there's a lot of species that, it, that can't handle um, yeah. that increase of CO2 either. Mm. So we have found some strains that um, seem to thrive in that environment. Um, it's now really working out a, a good use for that algae now that will, I think, if we can find another sustainable angle to it, then we have an exponential effect of what we're doing here. Mm. 
Did you know that 50% of the world's oxygen actually comes from algae and seaweed? Yeah, right. <laughs> no, yeah. I didn't know that. Every second breath you take it comes from either algae, microalgae, um, you know, kelp, nori, yeah. or um, spirulina. Wow. Seaweed's great. I love like seaweed should be eaten more. We've, talking, yeah. we've talked a lot about seaweed on this podcast, yeah. especially really? when we're talking about foraging and, and things like that, things that we pick up off the shoreline and Simon uses in his restaurant yeah. and stuff yeah. like that. Super delicious. Well, that's it. I about trying to make like some sort of spirit from seaweed. Do you know what? I actually had um, a, a sort of slightly salty gin recently. Someone, I can't remember who made it. Mm. It might be Manly Spirits. Yeah, they do like a coastal one. Yeah, a foraged, a yeah. foraged um, gin. So it's sort of like a savoury gin with... Um, it's delicious, mm. really good in the olive martini, turns yeah. out. Like all seaweeds are edible as well. So it's like, a, like there's no poisonous seaweeds. Mm-hmm. So it's a massive food source we don't use. Cows love it. About it. Do they? Oh, yeah. Cows love seaweed. Yep. Yeah, right. Yep. Didn't know that. Feed it to cows. Just learning. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much going on. Yeah. But do you know how hard it is to lead cows, cows down to the beach? <laughs> <laughs> they also love spent grain They as well, sure do. Which I yeah. guess is an update. That's, that's where all our grain goes. So yeah. um, it's been um, a real benefit to the farmers during the drought as yeah, well to yeah. come and pick up the grain from here. Mm. So that's been, um, that's been fantastic. Um, yeah, we're giving out around uh, eight tonnes of feed a week. Yeah, well, wow. that's you know, awesome. Which is, you know, pretty significant considering that you can only use spent grain up to around 10% of a cow's diet. Yeah, right, okay. okay. I believe. Mm. And so you've got numerous farms and stuff who come up here and pick it up? Yeah, yeah there's, a, there's a couple. So um, some of it goes out to out near Windsor, I think, and down the Southern Highlands as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, nice. That must be a good feeling sort of um, developing relationships with people. In, in the world of yeah. food and brewing yeah, and those sorts of things. We our beef in a restaurant from Southern Highlands, so maybe uh, some of our beef has been fed on young Henry's grain. Down, no doubt. <laughs> down at Majors. So. Put on the menu. It is, yeah. really nice. it is really nice for us to be reminded of the fact that we are, you know, we are closely linked to agriculture. Mm. You know, we use, well, yeah, yeah, we use grains and hops, you know, that, that are grown in Australia. Mm. And... I guess the the spent grain being donated back to farmers is just sort of closing closing that link in a mm. nice way. Yeah. You know, if we think about, um, you know, like Rich mentioned before, that the farmers have really um, appreciated the spent grain during the drought, um, which is absolutely true. But we've also, you know, our cider, we our apple prices have gone up thirty percent in the last year because mm. of the drought. Um, the diastatic power, which is the ferment fermentability of the grains, have changed due to the drought, you know? Um, would well, there'd be a lot of people concerned about hop growing, you know, yeah. with, if this yeah. drought continues. Certainly mm. conscious that, that we we're at a you know, the end of a pro- of a long growing process mm. and a lot of care has gone into um, getting those those ingredients to us before we kind of turn that into beer as mm. well. Um, so, uh, you know, we're taking the team down to, to Hop Harvest um, again this year, which is um, it's a great experience, I think, just to talk to the farmers, go and see the hops on the vine. I think that's one thing that the, the craft beer industry has really done, which is amazing, is really shone a spotlight on the producers that contribute to producing good beer. Yeah. Because, I mean, before the craft thing happened at, at all, like no one, no one had heard of particular hop farms or whatever it might be and there was no recognition of of the passion that goes yeah, into growing these types of, of hops or types of grain they were using 
yeah, before th- craft beer came around. So I think um, the hop uh, farming market in Australia was really like a commodity. It was all around um, bitterness. It was about that alpha acid, which which makes bitterness in beer. It was mm. just just the price for that. That's all people cared about. And when you turn the focus onto flavour and aroma, uh, it, be- it became much more interesting. And it was only through that process that I think um, the hop farms down in Tasmania were able to to really turn their business around and start thriving. Also, with the addition of people dry hopping their beers, making pale ales, mm. XPAs, IPAs, the amount of hops people are using per litre probably went up by about... You oh, know. Factor of 10. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah. You know, so. All of a sudden, they're just sitting on these hop-filled gold mines. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Is there... Does that have an effect? Like, does that, does that demand... I mean, how's the Australia? Do you do you know much about how the industry is coping with that demand? They're um, they're well oversubscribed. So um, fortunately, they do allocate a lot to the local market before they take it overseas. But yeah, okay. I do know that if I if I travel to the, to the states, for example, and some of the brewers ask me what I use, and I say, "Oh, we use a lot of Australian hops. We use Galaxy." They're like, "Oh man, Galaxy! I can't get any of that." You know, like, <laughs> like good. <laughs> yeah, good. And that's one of the that's one of the cool things about um, about the Australian sort of craft market is that because of the great um, hop growing regions in Tassie and Victoria, and because of the you know great. Um, trademark hops like Galaxy that Richard's mm. talking about. We actually have our own flavour profile. Mm. Yeah. You know, an Australian pale ale is, you know, it actually has a a flavour and aroma which is different to pale ales around the world. Because mm. if you're using Tassie hops, they they present very differently to how other you know American yeah. or Kiwi it's, hops. It's great come. to have a something that is unique to Australia that yeah. makes it makes an Australian beer style that wasn't really there. Mm. Um, we're, we're fortunate when we started that they, they really started getting into flavour hops. I think, you're, you know, if you remember, we were like, oh, wow, we can really make that a focus of what we do in all our, our core range beers. And we, we were using 100% Australian hops when we first started. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I think that's interesting. And you bring up an interesting point, which is this craft beer boom in Australia, like has allowed Australian beers to have their own, style and identity like everyone's different and stuff like that but a lot of the like places reflect the where they are you know we're such a massive massive country with such a broad landscape and broad climates and things like that but there is a sort of a link between all our different beers based on like you say the hops and and all these sorts of different things that give us a unique sort of australian Australian beer. It gives them a sense of place. Place, like, yeah, exactly. Like with wine, it wants to be like a representation of, of the area in the country. And if you've got a, you know, a Australian hops, then and, and it does give it that. And it's quite, it's quite a recognisable hop in a beer as well. Even me, I'm not a massive, like a huge beer drinker. I'm like a beer head, but I can normally like almost pick out like Galaxy hops. Mm. But they're quite, quite apparent, and it's quite cool that that's the thing. Yeah. That's that's the lucky thing with brewers is that unlike wineries mm. who you know they they are linked to their terroir and you know they have one crack at it per year yeah yeah if if one of our hop farmers or malt farmers has a bad year we can sort of you, can, you know navigate it shift and stuff like that but 
winemakers only really have to make wine once a year, whereas we have to make it every day. So yeah. they kind of win on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They get, they get six months off a year off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Got to figure out something else to do. Mm. Uh, guys, well, coming in towards the end of it, let's um, give you guys the opportunity. Is there any... Is there anything that you wanted to talk about? Like, is there any, is there any things in your industry that we don't know about that you guys want to talk about, or is there anything coming up for Young Henrys that that you guys want to make us aware of? Like, we talk about all sorts of different issues on 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 this show, and we're not not we don't shy away from, you know, going deep into some problems or you know challenges and things like that. Is there anything that you haven't discussed that you you want to have a chat about? Do you know what? One of the things I think that we haven't touched on that has been a really important part of um, the Young Henry's journey is our understanding of and love for the hospitality industry. Mm. Mm. You know, there are many, many brewing companies when we were starting out that were just, they were brewers. They, they were brewers and they made beer. Yeah. And we, through trying to be open and interested and... Um, we have, we've got a really great relationship with so many of our customers and in a weird way that has been a, an advantage to us you know learning what is selling and what is working from people in the hospitality industry yeah. who are actually really they're the tastemakers they're the people who are talking to people oh, yeah. on the front lines every night saying you know why don't you try this are you enjoying this? What else are you drinking at the moment? Being able to have relationships with people hearing those conversations firsthand has always been a massive feather in our cap mm. and it has allowed well, us to sort of... There's a, if, if you're friends with the brewer or the winemaker or they're local or you sort of have a relationship with them, you, you are so much more likely to push that product to a customer. If someone comes up and says, oh, I don't know what to drink. Like if, if you have a relationship and you, and you know that person, you know, they come into your bar, you, you really are just going to try and push that because you have that relationship there and that, that is a massive difference a lot of our our staff are you know from the hospitality um industry to start with aren't they and and you know oscar you spent a lot of time um behind the bar as well mm-hmm. um so did you know ben joseph with one of the other guys we started the company with uh, you know i was i was more on the um the receiving end of the bar most of the time. Uh, <laughs> Still valid. <laughs> valid experience, though. Good place to be. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Get it from all angles. Yeah. yeah, it's... Yeah, it's fantastic. And I think that, um, it's something that... It's something that can't be underestimated in terms of being a part of the broader industry that you're a part of, not just being a part of the brewing industry, but being a part of the people who buy it and the people who drink it and things mm. like that as well. Like that's invaluable mm. and understanding how that industry actually works yeah. and, and having constant feedback about it. Quite a lot of, maybe an assumption on my part, but quite a lot of um, craft beers seem to be made for almost other brewers where like if you're really into beer, you end up enjoying those stronger, weirder, out there flavours. Um, and I find a lot of beers be like overly hopped and overly bitter. Um, you guys coming at it from... You know, working behind the bar and, and just frequenting bars uh, and kind of knowing what the customer wants to drink rather than what you kind of want to drink. Do you think that helped in the style of your beers? Yeah, I, I certainly, we certainly had that f- um, feedback from a lot of, actually some of our f- food critic friends were saying, well, we, we like drinking your beer with, with food because you're not overpowering it and knocking it out most of the time. Yeah. Um, and I think that's true with particularly our natural lager. It, it is, it's a great beer to, to have with food. Mm. 
um, for those reasons. Yeah, I think that you know beers beers can be beers can be different things to different people, right? So our core range beers we've always made like Newtowner, Natural Lager, yeah. you know Stayer. They're just they're everyday beers. They're they're simple. They're refreshing. They're like we're in a hot country. Yeah, let's make a beer that people want to drink at the end of a hot day. Yeah, and you know. Don't, it's like it's not a thinking beer; it's a drinking beer, mm. right? And then our limited release stuff—that's where we play around. We get creative, and we actually, you know, get to do those sort of slightly beer nerdier yeah, beers, yeah. where you're probably only going to have one, and you might talk, you know, might buy one and share it with your friend who's also a bit of a closet beer nerd. Mm. You know, you're not going to drink jug after jug of it at the pub, and you know, both of those things are correct. You know, there's no. There's no wrong thing there, but we have always really tried to be an inclusive brand. And just because we're a craft beer company doesn't mean we need to be making these ridiculous, exclusive, you know, beers that only a very small percentage of the yeah. population can enjoy. Like Drink we want good of. beer to be enjoyed by everybody, because mm. really that's the that's the end goal, right? Mm-hmm. Perfect. All right. Um, I reckon we'll leave it there, guys. Uh, I guess. I, I just want to finish by saying maybe you guys don't get too much of an opportunity to just step away from where you guys are in the thick of everything. But uh, it's an awesome beer. Simon and I drink it regularly. Mm. His post-work drink is actually a tin of cloudy oh, cider down at Howling Wolf in Wollongong. So. <laughs> that just like, picks me up, wakes me up after a long and, shift. And um, yeah, like... Young Henry's is a recognisable. I was pretty happy when he made the top five of the drink easy. There you go. <laughs> yeah, as well. cool, I was like, man. I've been telling you it's the best beer in Australia. <laughs> Cider. Yeah. I mean, you got, yeah. Like, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really recognisable and now sort of ubiquitous thing around hotels in like all up the East Coast. I don't know. I haven't travelled too much and checked it out. Yeah, but it's, um, it's almost a staple in Wollongong now. Definitely. Yeah, like, definitely. Yeah, we've got some really great, some really great customers um, yeah. throughout that region who've been with us for like quite a long time as well. Mm. You know, Hal and Wolf, yeah. you know, uh, Illawarra, Scarborough, La La's. Oh yeah, oh, yeah. yeah it's recently opened. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's a cool venue. And there's a few others that I'm probably I'll, not. I went about. to uni at Wollongong, so to, to see oh, the cool. beer at Northgong was a yeah, special yeah. moment yeah. for me. Yeah. Uh, yeah, after seeing tumbleweed and the hard-ons there, and <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's awesome what you guys have created, and and the fact that uh, you've kept kept the quality, kept the values, uh, built a team, and built a beer that means so much to so many people is such an awesome achievement so congratulations and keep doing it because everyone loves it we, we will love it. don't you worry about that <laughs> <laughs> thank you very much alright thanks guys, guys. Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in to that episode of The Food Fight featuring the Young Henrys. We really appreciate those guys taking their time to talk to us. If you want to find out more about what they do, you can go onto their website, younghenrys.com, or you can find them on social media at Young Henrys. If you want to find us, you can get to us via email at thefoodfightpodcast at gmail.com. We'll answer questions from the audience and feel free to give us some tips and some suggestions on potential guests or topics to cover in the podcast there. 
You can also find us on social media at The Food Fight Podcast. And you can find me on social media at Quicksand Food. You can find Simon on social media at Simon Evans Caveau with underscores. And you can check out his businesses, Caveau Restaurant and Night Parrot Wine Bar here in Wollongong. If you want to leave us a review on iTunes, that'd be fantastic. It'll really help us continue to grow this podcast. And if you want to subscribe, you can just search the Food Fight Podcast anywhere where you get them. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next episode.